This month, we're going to look at the subject of reimagined worship. And last week, Billy and Shanna talked to us about worship in the home. What does it look like to live as a family that's surrendered to the Lord and where Jesus reigns within the home? You see, this idea of worship is often very confusing, and partly because of even those of us in church leadership as we try to explain it to people, because we often use worship as a noun instead of a verb. What I mean by that is we'll invite people to come to worship, come to a, a place, come join the, the church as we worship the Lord, or we relegate worship to a part of a service. Like, let's all stand because we're going to sing, and singing is worship. I've even known pastors who've said that they select songs that are praise songs, songs about God, and worship songs, songs that are to God. But I just want you to know that everything that we do in this room that's dedicated to the Lord, that comes from a heart that loves God and wants to serve God, is worship. Whether it be singing, praying, taking communion, giving the offering, listening to the, the message, it's all worship. But it's bigger than that. Worship goes beyond even this room. I was at a church once, and on the back wall was a sign that said, The worship has ended. The service now begins. And while that's cute, it's incorrect. Because worship doesn't end when we walk out the doors. Worship should continue. In fact, many of us have, have struggled figuring out, how do you worship God the rest of the week? And that's why we're addressing it with this series of what does worship look like, not only in the church building, but outside the church building. And today we're going to talk about one of the, the maybe the far-off places you'd ever expect for worship to occur, your job. Many of you feel like your job is something you endure and tolerate and get beyond so you can get to worship. Get to your Bible study. Get to your small group or your church program. But, but worship at my job? Pastor, you don't know the place I work. You don't know the people I work for or the people I work with. But I believe the Scripture teaches us how to honor the Lord and serve the Lord and indeed even worship the Lord even at our jobs. And when you think about it, we're spending 30, 40, 50 hours a week at our jobs, and we're together for, what, 75, 80, 85 minutes on a Sunday? What if we could carry the experience of the weekend worship into Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and we come back again? We don't begin to worship. We continue to worship. I believe that's the perspective God wants us to have. And so I want you to open up your Bible to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to look at that passage and as you're doing that, I want to quote to you what Louis Giglio, a pastor down in Atlanta, says worship is. He says, worship is our response, both personal and corporate, to God for who he is and what he's done. It's a response to the magnificence of God. And it's, and it's responding with the love that says, God, I will give you everything I have and, and devote everything I am because of everything you are and everything you've done. You are that great to me that I will seek to live in your presence and glorify you in every moment that you've given me, including my family life and my job. What if, if you're a soldier, you went off on Monday morning to Fort Carson realizing you're going to a place of worship or you're going to your school to teach children and you recognize that your worship will continue there? What if you're a stay-at-home mom taking care of your kids and you saw that place as a way to honor and serve God? What if we approached it that way? I believe it would radically transform our hearts. In fact, that we would wake up Mondays feeling eager to go and serve the Lord and meet with the Lord at our jobs. So in Colossians chapter 3, Paul is writing a passage where he 
talks to the church about things like the Word of God living in them and speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And that sounds very churchy, kind of stuff we do at church. We teach, we sing spiritual songs. But then he says this in verse 17, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, your Bible has a break there, but when this letter was written, there's no break. So with that thought in mind, I want to honor God in whatever I do. He gets very specific. Wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Immediately, he makes it very practical. Whatever you do, whether it's in the church where you're teaching and singing or in your home, how you conduct yourself as a wife. He says this word that our culture says is a dirty word, submit. And, and we've made that to sound like subjugation and you're less than valued and, and you're setting yourself up for abuse. But that's not the picture here. It's, it's a, a working of harmony of different roles within a marriage. He says, wives, follow the leadership of your husband. But husbands, love your wives. Don't be harsh with them. You're not a dictator. You're not, you're not someone who pushes them around. You're partners together. But you have a role to lead. In fact, he goes in Ephesians and says how to love. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. So, so men, you want to know how to lead your families? Be sacrificial. Put them before yourself. That's the kind of husband he's saying here. And by the way, we're going to put a link on the website along with this sermon just that goes into article explain more about that whole subject within marriage because I think it's something many of us need to grab a hold of. And then he says, children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Kids, you want to know how to honor God? Listen to your parents. They're trying their best to lead you. They may make mistakes. They may not be perfect. But then he says, fathers, be careful. You're not harsh with your kids and embitter them. Cause them to turn against you. But then he takes this bigger section and speaks to a special group. He says in verse 22, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord, as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does, who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. He's speaking here um, to slaves, servants. And in that culture, half the population held that position of being servants. People who are under authority. And I think as you look at the passage, it speaks very clearly to those of us who work under masters. Now, I know there's sometimes some bad views of, of, of servanthood, abuses in our own American history. But, but truly, what he's speaking of here isn't an abusive relationship necessarily. I've been on the mission field, and there are missionaries that we even support who have nannies, who have maids, who have servants within their house, and they provide meaningful employment to people in their community, and they treat them with dignity. And for many of us, we might feel that we are slaves to our masters at our jobs. But even if you dial that back a little bit, what he's saying there is so applicable to us in our jobs. But before we dive into some steps of what we need to do to honor the Lord in our jobs, I want to dispel some false assumptions about work. First assumption that's wrong is that work is only what I get paid for. Many of us have jobs that we get a paycheck, but some of us have work that gets no financial paycheck. 
You're a homemaker. You take care of your elderly parents. You volunteer for the school or for the hospital or for the senior center. And those are valuable jobs. And you work under someone most often times, and you carry out duties. But you don't get a physical paycheck. Your paycheck comes in more emotional ways, but it's still valuable work. Don't diminish the value of that. Here's another way we look at work that I think is wrong, is we, we divide work into that which is secular versus that which is sacred. We say things like being a pastor, a missionary, a parachurch worker, working for Compassion International or Focus on the Family. That's an important job, but all other jobs are secular, and they're, they're second best. They're less. And this is a dangerous distinction that we are drawing, one that Scripture never does. I don't see my job as any greater value than what your job is. But you may think, but you're a pastor. You get to teach God's Word. Yeah, but you get to go into areas that I probably will never get into in many cases. You'll have contact with people that I may never be able to have contact with. God has put you in a position, and it's a valued position. This idea that you need to graduate and get a real job, a ministry job. Now, some people do get called to do that. It's not that it's better. It's just that it's different. So we have missionaries, Scott and Anel Price. Scott finished a career in the Army and retired, and his wife was in the medical field. And they sensed God's call to be missionaries, and they've been serving in Tanzania for 15 years. Our own Sam Silvius, our next-gen pastor, he worked at Cheyenne Mountain in the Army. And he felt the call by God to prepare for ministry, and then doors opened up for him to become our next-gen pastor. Was that a, a bad move or a good move? It was good because they heard God's call, and they obeyed it. Now, do you know where the word vocation comes from? It's from the Latin word meaning summon or call. Your vocation, and this is the whole Christian theology of work, your vocation is your response to God's call, whether it's a job in the church or your job in the community. And anytime we are hearing God's voice and doing what God says, we're in a pretty good place. And I'm so grateful that everyone doesn't leave the, 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 the workforce in the community to come work for the church. Because we need Christian auto mechanics who are honest. And, and I want to know that my doctor loves the Lord and, and believes that God can bring healing. I want to know that my kids are being taught by someone who has godly values. I want a financial advisor who looks at money from biblical values perspective. I mean, we need Christian politicians and lawyers. Amen? Yeah, we need people in every sphere of life who, who know the Lord and love the Lord. And so I'm so glad that we have people in our church and people like you who serve where you are and represent Jesus in that place. He says, whatever you do, whatever you are doing, honor the Lord in that. Here's another false view that work is evil, that somehow work is a part of the curse from the Garden of Eden. Now, I know if you talk to any child or teenager, they may say, absolutely, that is a curse. I hate chores. I hate work. If you're an adult and you hate work, I feel sorry for you because... The truth is, work was part of our lives before sin entered. God gave Adam and Eve responsibilities to tend the garden before sin entered in. Now, the curse made it harder. It brought thistles and thorns and made working the soil harder. And relationships are harder. But work was always a part of it. In fact, when you look at the Ten Commandments, the Fourth Commandment regarding the Sabbath day and keeping it holy, it says in Scripture, you shall, uh, for six days you shall labor. In our culture, we'd probably say, can we just make it five? Five days? Five days labor and have two days off? But you know, God says six days you shall labor. Now, what did God base that on? Creation. For six days, God formed the world, 
seventh day. Now, whether it's literal or figurative or long periods of time, the fact is God said work is a part of the fabric of being made in the image of God. Work is good. But here's the danger. Some of you have learned that work is good. You enjoy work. You, you love going to your jobs. But here's the danger. Work can become a God. It's another false view. That work can give us something that only God can truly give us. If you get your identity from your job, if you get your affirmation from your jobs, not that your work shouldn't feel good, but if that's what you rely upon for the pat on the back, for your self-esteem, for your self-image, and you love it more than going home because my family doesn't appreciate me as much as the people at work do, it can be very dangerous. You can become a workaholic. You can seek to gain something from your job that really shouldn't come from your job. It doesn't mean that work shouldn't be satisfying. We learned that from Ecclesiastes, that we're to find satisfaction in our toil. But if you neglect your family and your marriage and your friendships to be a success at work and yet a failure at home, I don't think God's pleased. We need to have a right attitude about work. So what do we do to honor the Lord in our jobs? I like what Rick Warren says in his book, The Purpose Driven Life. Work becomes worship when you dedicate it to God and perform it with an awareness of his presence. You recognize that God not only has given you the opportunity to meet the needs of your family, the bills that you have to pay and all that, God's provided through your job, but he's also given you skills in which you can use for him and a platform in which you can display the love and the character of Christ. So he tells us, he starts off reminding us to be servants. And he even says, he says slaves, which I think is just so fitting for us. Or if you want to use the word servants, very similar. Most of our jobs, really at the very foundation, is to be a servant. It's to serve the people around us, to serve management above us, to serve the customers around us, to serve the teammates we work with. When I go up to Chick-fil-A up on the Mesa, there are several people in our church that work there, and they are asking what I'd like for, for my order. They'd come around and ask if I'd like my cup refilled or the table clean. I mean, they are, they are servants. That's a big thing with Chick-fil-A. We are here to serve. The number one online retailer is Amazon. And Jeffrey Bezos, the CEO, has embedded in their culture this whole idea that we are here to serve people. In fact, they are so far up on the, on the ranking of customer service, I'd say a few notches above the DMV, wouldn't you? A few notches. Sit down, wait your turn, get your number. You know, I've, I've worked with Amazon, and they are so good. They send me car parts, um, dishwasher parts, Christmas gifts, books, food, I mean, anything. If I have to get a refund for something, they've been so gracious in giving it to me, even when I've made the mistake. And why do they do that? Because they see their job as service. And I would say that even though you see your job possibly as a way to make money, you'll do far better to see your job as an avenue of service. If you serve people well, you will make money. If you're a salesperson and you rely on commissions, you can be driven by sales. But I'm just telling you, if you can be driven to serve the needs of the people, you will become a, a success. You may be the first one promoted. If you go to your boss and say, hey, hey how, can I, how can I serve you today? You blow them away. If you walk up to a customer and say, can I help you? It's kind of shocking in our culture. Because a lot of people appear to be ones who are just trying to fill the time to get their paycheck. But take the attitude of a servant. That's what Joseph did. Joseph was a man in the Old Testament who, who God had a plan for his life. 
And he had these dreams of what he was to be, but his career path didn't go the way he expected. His brothers tried to kill him, and then instead they sold him into slavery. He ended up in Egypt at Potiphar's house. Potiphar was the captain of Pharaoh's guard. And he assigned Joseph the job of taking care of his home. Joseph did so well that he expanded it to be in charge really of everything inside the house, outside the house. Now, Potiphar's wife began to hit on Joseph. Because Joseph honored his boss, he would have nothing to do with it. And when he tried to actually literally run away from her, she grabbed his coat and she held it before her husband and said, he tried to rape me. And Joseph was unjustly thrown into prison. But even in prison, when two other political officials were thrown into prison... They were actually put under Joseph's care. And Scripture says that Joseph attended them, which means Joseph ministered to these other prisoners. That's, that's Joseph's attitude. Wherever I am, I am a servant. And so when the Pharaoh had a dream he needed someone to interpret, he was told about Joseph, how God had given Joseph special insight into dreams. And Joseph said, Pharaoh, here's what your dreams are about. They're coming seven years of prosperity of abundance, but it'll be followed by seven years of famine. And after he interpreted the dream, he said, Pharaoh, here's what I think you need to do. I think you need to assign someone to collect grain during those years of prosperity so that when the lean years come, there will be plenty not only for you and your household, but for the nation. And you know what happened? I need to read this to you. It's from Genesis chapter 41. I'm going to start with verse 37. It says, The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all of my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Joseph was a prisoner suddenly elevated to the second highest position in a pagan land, not to be a pastor, not to be a missionary, not to be a servant in the temple, but to be in the court, in the cabinet of the highest, most powerful person in the land of that period. Some of you hold a position that God has opened for you. You may see it as a very secular position, but God sees it as a platform to do good for people in his name. And God blessed Joseph because he adopted the mindset of a servant. And he will bless you when you do the same. Here's something else Paul tells us to do. He basically says, do your job. He says, obey your masters in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Do your job. I remember the first jobs I got. You know, they were, they were chores that mom and dad gave me. You know, pick up things and and rake the lawn, shovel the sidewalk. But it grew to where I started doing neighbor's yards and, and mowing them and raking leaves and shoveling sidewalks. And you know what made it real fun? It was when I started getting an allowance or, or, or got a pay payment. You know, if I get $5 to put in my pocket, that's $5 worth of candy. $5, $5 worth of baseball cards. You know, that motivated me to want to do more so I could make more money. When I needed a car, I got a job at Kmart. I was a stock boy. And I accumulated the weekly check so I could save up enough money to get my car. When I went to college, I had jobs, all kinds of jobs. I flipped burgers at McDonald's. I was, uh, I was the guy that cleaned the pan, the floors at the bakery. I worked in a dairy taking the plastic jugs that were pumped out of 
this process, and I would box them for orange juice or 2% milk or chocolate milk or whatever it was. And that was my job to help pay my way through college. I did get a job on weekends my senior year working at a church as a youth pastor. But, you know, all through those different jobs, there, there are many times I had to do things I didn't like. And what motivated me was just getting the paycheck. And sometimes jobs are like that. Sometimes you may feel like this isn't my career goal, but it puts food on the table, puts gas in the car, enables my kid to go to daycare, whatever it is. And, and there's phases of life where you just have to do that. You are lucky if you have a job that you wake up saying, I get to do everything I love to do at my job. Because most of us have at least aspects of our jobs we don't like. Even for me, there are things I love to do as a pastor, and honestly, there are some things that I don't look forward to doing. But, but I learned uh, from a friend of mine a statement that Mark Twain made years ago, that if you start your day eating a live frog, everything from that point on gets a lot easier. <laughs> it really does. Just I, I tr- try it. It does. Oh, frog's awful, especially the live frog. And you can stare at that frog all day. It doesn't look better 3 o'clock in the afternoon, so you just want to get it out of the way. Well, Brian Tracy took that concept and said, in your job are those things that you don't like to do. And he says, eat that frog. Eat it quickly. Get it out of the way. Do it the first thing in the morning. It'll be the worst thing you have to do all day. Everything's going to be better from that point on. Sometimes our jobs are like that. You just do it. You do what you are called to do. As long as it's ethical, you're getting paid to do your master's will as long as it's ethical. My wife had to quit two jobs. Actually, she got fired from two jobs. And in both cases... She got fired because she would not do something that was unethical or illegal that her boss was acting, asking her to do. And some of you can, can agree with that. You, you've lost a job because you wouldn't compromise your values. It's better to lose a job in that case. Here's something else he tells us to do. Give your best. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Give your best effort. Your job deserves the best of you. The weekends often get the best of us, and we go tired on Monday morning. But I have to tell you, I was looking once for uh, buying an appliance. And I didn't know this, but on the serial codes of appliances, you can actually tell by the serial codes, codes where it was manufactured, whether it was made in the United States, Mexico, or another place. And you can actually, actually find out what day of the week it was made on. And what I was told as I studied this was don't buy an appliance that's, that, was, uh, that's, that was made on Monday. Really, that's what the article said. Because people, a lot of people come over the weekend and they're tired, they're hungover, they're not ready to go on Monday. You don't want to buy the appliance. You don't want to buy the automobile that was made on Monday. It makes a lot of sense. And I think a lot of us don't give our best, but God calls us as believers to give the best to those that we work for. When I was in high school, a friend of mine named Brett, he'd just become a Christian, graduated from high school, got a job at a factory making tools. And at this factory, for the various shifts, they would write on the, on the floor of, of the factory in chalk how many units they produced that day. So I don't know how many it was, but they would write that number down, and it was pretty consistent day after day, shift after shift, until Brett came. And the shift Brett, Brett worked for, their numbers were astronomically higher than the other ones. I mean, they were significantly more, so much that management took notice and said, what are you guys doing here? I mean, you guys are, are performing incredibly. In fact, he got raises because of the energy and the, the, the uh, quality of work that he was doing. But you know who got mad at him? 
the guys from the other shifts. You're making us look bad. And his response to them was, do your job. Work harder. You guys have gotten lazy. And some of us see our jobs as, as a place just to put in time, and we clock out early. We do the minimal just to get our paycheck. I believe that when a company comes looking for people, they ought to be able to say, I want to hire a Christian because they are ones who give me honesty, integrity, and hard work. They're the ones that show up first. They're the ones that leave last. They're the ones who always give 100%. Unfortunately, that's not always the case. But it should be, right? And the reason it should be is because of this last point that Paul brings out. Know your real boss. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Have you ever worked for a company where they said, hey, the bigwigs from Detroit are coming in, or the superintendent's going to be around today, or, or management from the big office, they're going to be here. Everyone tidies things up, gets things in order, cleans it up, puts on their best behavior. Why is that? Because the real boss is showing up. I believe, as believers, we should always live like that. Not just when we're being watched, but we should be consistent even when someone's not looking over our shoulders. Even when the big dog isn't around, we should be known as someone who gives our best effort. That's just who Christ calls us to be because we know that Jesus is our boss. And we can't use the excuse for slotty or shoddy work saying, well, I don't work for you. I work for Jesus. He doesn't tell us that. He says, you work for this guy or this gal and you work for Jesus. But Jesus is the higher boss. We, we do our job. We do it well because we're honoring Christ in what we do. It's a whole different attitude. I love how Brother Lawrence, uh, a man who left the military in the 17th century, became a monk. He wrote a book called The Practice of the Presence of God because he worked as a dishwasher, worked as a servant within a monastery, and he believed that in every job that he did, Jesus was with him. He was known for his joy, for his hard work, and his continual prayerfulness. Living and working in the daily presence of God. Do you see that when you're at work? Do you, do you sense that God is present, whispering to you, encouraging you, filling you with energy, filling you with joy on the job? That's what God desires. And when that happens, God will open up doors for you to share your faith. Our jobs aren't primarily platforms to preach. But you may get an opportunity in the course of your job of doing it well to pray with someone in need. To give someone hope and share the hope that you have within you because they're struggling. I mean, I've known school teachers who've counseled kids in difficult times and said, you know what gets me through times like this? My faith in God. Now, that's not proselytizing. That's not pushing something down someone's throat. Just testifying to what God has done through you. Some of you will find opportunities within your job to direct someone toward the Lord. It says in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds glorify your Father in heaven. Years ago, I heard a story by a pastor named Gordon MacDonald. He was talking about sanctuaries, how these magnificently huge buildings in Europe are places dedicated to the presence of God. But he also pointed out that in the Old Testament, there were different individuals who built altars out in the wilderness, and they became sacred places where they invited the presence of God to meet with them. Well, it was during that course of time as he was teaching on sanctuaries that he and his wife entertained four Christian men who were bus drivers in the city. And they had breakfast together, and these men said, Pastor, it must sure be nice to be a pastor and get to do what you do, because all we are is bus drivers. And he thought for a moment and said to those bus drivers, it doesn't have to be that way. 
How about, how about this week when you go and you're, you start your bus up and the engine is warmer, warming up, that you actually walk down the aisles of your bus and you make this declaration that today this bus will become a sanctuary for the presence of God where, the, where people may encounter God through me. He said, today you can become the pastor of your own sanctuary if you want. So they left and, and in, in the weeks to come as... Gail and Gordon McDonald would get on a city bus of one of these four men. They would lean over to them as they entered the bus and whisper, is this a bus or a sanctuary? <laughs> oh, sanctuary. Man, it's a sanctuary. Sometimes they actually would greet the McDonald's and say, welcome to my sanctuary. One day, one of the drivers said to them, you know, there was a man this week on my bus, and he demanded I stop when I shouldn't have stopped, but I wouldn't do it for him. He became very belligerent, started cursing at me. In the past, he says, I would, have, I would have told the man, when I stop the bus, let's take this outside and we'll settle it with our fists. But instead, he said, I just simply told the man, thank you for riding my bus, sir. Have a good day. And McDonald looked at him and said, how in the world were you able to do that? He said, you know, it's actually pretty easy when you're driving a sanctuary. What if all across the Fountain Valley, Colorado Springs, if Monday morning men and women from Pikes Peak Christian Church would walk into their offices, walk into their schools, get on their buses, go over to Fort Carson, arrive a few minutes early, and walk around, and whether it's audibly or in their hearts, say, God, I am dedicating this space today for you to be a sanctuary for your glory to be shown, and that you would use me as your servant to bless those who I encounter in this place. What would happen? I believe it would transform our culture. I believe not only would it affect the people who walk into those places, I believe it would, it would, it would bless those who are over us, who supervise us, and it would, it would speak to your own heart. I believe that you would start to wake up Monday and Tuesday morning with joy in your heart because worship wasn't a distant memory on Sunday. Worship's going to continue on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. Why? Because you have made the decision to make that a sacred place where Jesus' presence would be very real and seen through you as a servant.